0: So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is Ian Joseph. As always you can find us on social media. So
1: on Facebook
0: you simply type
1: in Folk on Falcons and you'll see our logo and on Twitter it is at Folk on Falcons and
0: again you'll see the same logo. So a quick um, plug for our 50th episode special which some of you may have listened to, some of you may not be on the same platform as this one. We were delighted to have Matt Thompson on and gave some great insights into the workings of the club and also his time as a player so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that yet then please do I think um it's a bit of a long one it's just over an hour but I'd say it's an hour very well spent this week fortunately we don't have to talk about um a minute's silence before the game so um, we can launch straight into the match and I made my way down to the stoop sell out glad I got my ticket in advance not waited to go on the on the gates because they wouldn't wouldn't let me in so um Went into the stoop and they hadn't put the money in the meter because before the game the the lights kept flickering and they had to resort to flame to light the stadium up for a few minutes before they got the fifty pences out. So, and um, we were treated to about a minute of flashing lights and epileptic specials. And then they didn't they didn't do a big announcement for the Falcons, but of course they did it for Harlequins, to be biased home team. So, um, one thing that what was. Um, cheered was Mike Brown's announcement in the team street. And there were actually a couple of boos near me. I think they are just ignorant fans as opposed to most of the Quinn's fans who cheered him. And then the game started and for the first three or four minutes, he thought, oh, it's going all right here. And then for, for some reason, one of the hyphen halfbacks, Nordy Calametti, decided he'd do, it wasn't even a box kick. It was just a kick to their fullback for no obvious reason. We didn't have an advantage or anything. And then we gave from the ball and then, well... <laughs> 30 seconds later, they'd scored in the corner at the end of the pitch. And then we dominated again. And then we got something i have never seen on a rugby pitch, which was Hayden Wood kicking a penalty from front of the post. And we got given two points for it on the scoreboard. So we had a very strange thing inside the ground where for about a minute, it said Harlequins, seven, Falcons, two. And I don't know how they managed to program a scoreboard so it could come up with an impossible scoreline. But then the correct three, we decided we give Harlequins the ball back again. And they scored again. And then we had a little more pressure. And then we actually got a try with Hayden Wood almost getting there. And just short and then... They announced in the stadium, Robinson scored it, but it turned out not to be. It was another try. Was it a debut for him, Ian, or was it, his, was it his second or third game?
1: So it wasn't his debut, it was his first Premiership start. So, yeah, so Marshall at eight, he's, I can't remember which game. So he came on as a sub in one of the games, um, I think fairly recently, actually. But it was his first Premiership start. And I think that was one of the few highlights, was that obviously it was nice to see him on a personal note, I suppose, get a, a Premiership debut start try.
0: Yes, um, and that was right in front of the six, which was converted. Very good. And then we had loads more pressure, and then they scored again. And basically, they got into our half maybe five times the entire game, scored four tries, all of them out wide. And we had, I don't know, it felt like 60 or 70% worth of possession. Stats probably corroborate it. And territory, probably in their half for 50 or 60 minutes of the game. And once again, we just can't score tries. And when they're down to 13 men and Yeah, we we almost got a try, and it was an unfortunate knock-on by Hayden Wood. But for the rest of that 10-minute period, they just ran down, or we allowed Harlequins to run down the clock. We didn't get the ball in Radwan's hands. We didn't draw defenders in. And you just think, what bigger advantage can you want to do well in this game?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, never have you seen such a clear lesson in how to take your chances than last Friday. Um, As you say, Harlequins had, in their visits to our 22, they always came away with points, we obviously were very much the opposite of that. Um, it sums up by obviously we have the two-man advantage and still couldn't score. Never even, quite frankly, really looked like threatening their trial. I mean the two-man advantage. I mean, you have the Hayden Wood, unfortunate knock-on, and I mean, probably should have just recycled it and would have thought even us numbers, would have told me we would have scored. Um, arguably, should have had a penalty try, perhaps, with their sin binning. I think Brown would have collected the ball off McGuigan and just flopped over really because I didn't really have anyone really you'd have someone in front of him, but they wouldn't have stopped in from that close range. And obviously that could have been very critical, but you know, put that to one side as frustrating it was, we still should have, you know, scored some points. I mean to get no points with that, that two-man advantage for, or even have one man advantage for what was a decent part of a game is absolutely criminal. And it, it just sums up a some yeah it does sum up a, some us up at the moment. And then I'll talk on the TV as well. I think the commentators I maybe mean, finally get around to it to what we see every week. There's just no structure in the backs There's no sort of doesn't seem to be any sort of plan to it. There's no incision to it. And it was basically just using the same words that we've used for weeks now. And it's it's so obvious to see and you sometimes get the odd individual who can do something great. I think won wanted a couple of times, Radwan a couple of good runs McGuigan had a brilliant game. Uh, I know he's a forward but it's an advantage of someone kind of an individual rather than a, the team as a whole and there's just nothing in the backs again and it's just it's just so exposed against a team like Harlequins who don't need to perform well can even have men down and still at times just sort of pull us around the, the pitch and tear us to
0: shreds out wide You gave a uh, mention to McGuigan it's interesting Eddie Jones was watching because McGuigan still could play for England alongside Blumeyer in the, in the hooking positions but um it wouldn't surprise me, given he was on TV, if you um, might be getting a phone call from Mr Farrell soon because he played excellently all evening. Like you mentioned, Hayden Wood, decision-making, I think he's going to get better. He didn't make any howlers, but um, it's nice to see a, a young man who's not afraid to run at the fences and he, Uh, Just before the first try, that was his half break that made that. And then his other one where he unfortunately lost it as he was grounding it. Um, Once again, a nice little touch. And I I do feel like if he had a good pair of centres outside him that were consistent and he could rely upon, he would suddenly be looking a thousand times better than he's looking. And he's actually looking quite good as it is. I feel like he's a sort of player where when he grows into it over the next season or two, if we, if we get a, a backline with some real cutting edge to it, he's going to be a fantastic player for hopefully a long time. Um, I'd also say, once again, the entire pack did no disservice to themselves. And I think that I'm right in saying that seven out of the starting eight were all from the academy or come through the university pathways, etc., which I think is um, fantastic for the club.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, that's never positive in that, you know, once again, forwards perform well in Difficult circumstances, not only with the opposition and the run of form, but also because we had a lot of injuries in the back row, but we've touched on this and that we do actually have a lot of strength and depth in the back row, and that even without big players like Ferns, for example, or Van der Holt, we were, still, we're still very competent in those positions. Our forwards still do a very good job week in, week out. And in terms of Hayden Wood, you know, it's the point we made in terms of we give him game time, he's only going get better. For those who have listened to Matt Thompson, he picks him out as a real sort of gem coming through more Waffle future and I think we can all see that, you know, he, he is only going to get better and I think we can get excited about him going forward and it is good how he runs; He's a fire that likes to run defences as well and it adds that sort of dynamism which sometimes we lack. But yeah, um I, about back the forwards, again, they were really good. And it's a bonus, as you say, that they're all sort of local lads will come through sort of local pathways. And that obviously is a, is a positive for the club. And we know that is a positive thing. We know Academy's strong. And, you know, there is some optimism for the future. And, you know, we, we start to see sort of the fruits of that optimism, even sort of in these dark times at the moment. And it's, I guess, you know, if we give these players game time, we know these players are going to get better. And why not throw them in the deep end in a season with no relegation, I suppose?
0: Yeah, something I um, also spotted during the game was that um a number of times Noddy Calametti, he went the wrong way as a scrum half. He seemed to be instinctively passing to Hayden Wood, which is what he's done for many years now throughout the junior ranks, the clubs that came through together. And there are a number of times we'd have a, a three on two or a four on three or whatever on the side that Hayden Wood wasn't. And you can't blame him solely for that. Um, he needs some match or game awareness, but there should be players shouting for the ball from the side where there's the overlap it should, and then he, should, he shouldn't he should have to have eyes in the back of his head. It's always handy to and Danny Care seems to manage it but um, you can't expect everybody to and um, he needs that call from the players where they do have the overlap to to go that way or Hayden would make a, a call from fly off saying give it to the other side because it's the sort of thing where there's a couple of times we went the wrong way and if we'd have gone the, the way where we had numbers and we had Radwan or whoever else on the outside, were cocky cocky with a bit of pace or penny maybe, and um, it was just been a simple couple of draw the man and pass it, and would have gone around the outside of them. But like we say, chances weren't begging for the whole whole entire eighty minutes.
1: Yeah, actually the TV pointed that out as well in terms of going the wrong way maybe that kind of goes into the whole thing of us. there doesn't seem to be much structure in the backs at the moment where players are sort of thinking just going sort of to a default mode or playing things safe because they don't necessarily have the confidence or there's no plan there to sort of you know to do anything different so as you say you may have just kind of hit the nail on the head there in terms of just instinctively he passes it in the fly half fly half we he's played for over several years now and there were overlaps this is even before you know were down to 30 men and 14. There were times where the other side we had chances to make a bit more bit more ground rather than just sort of do what we we're doing, which was sort of bashing it up, maybe getting the odd yard or two and then just sort of not really going anywhere. But that sort of goes into it, doesn't it? Sort of lack of ideas and sort of dynamism in the backs at
0: the moment. When I was at the at the stoop, um, I tried talking to the guy next to me about things and he was an absolute misery guts, and nothing to do with it. So I ended up chatting to the guy behind me as well, and he was a bit more talk. And um, they were basically saying that. They'd added this one up as a, a five-pointer from the from the start of the season. And they were, at the end, quite glad that we basically gave them the tries out wide because he said the way that Harlequins ended up getting a bonus point from that game when we didn't get anything kind of almost was a disservice to us. And I said kind of, to him, well, it's what, you, it's what you actually deserve because you put away your chances when you had them. We had 60 minutes of the ball and didn't. So um, I don't think that they can consider themselves lucky because they they played well when they had the ball. And it's as simple as that. Um one other thing i 'd say about the stoop is that um i can 't stand harlequin 's fans in general um they 're probably so sort of, if you go to Murrayfield or Cardiff Arms park or Merlin Stadium whatever it 's called now Principality Stadium and they 've all got this preconceived idea of England fans being a bunch of so and so toffs and when you go to harlequins it's almost the focal point of that for the for the u k and um had some people behind me that had never been to a rugby game before in their twenties. And they were droning on shouting, come on you, Quins!" And oh, you, I just can't stand them. And then um, not at one point in the entire game, did they start a chant by themselves. You have the guy in the PA system saying, come on you, Quins!" And then for 30 seconds, they'll go, come on you, Quins! come on you, Quins!" And they've got this awful tune that's done on like a piccolo or something. Well, the, you ain't seen nothing but the mighty quins and they'll start singing along and make sure you want to tear your hair out. In the background, you can see Twickenham and you just think, oh, dear me. <laughs> well, they've got a sellout out 15,000 people and we, we can only get 6,000, but I'd say our 6,000 uh, proper rugby fans that have been to a match before and understand the game and would cheer a 5 meter scrum getting awarded. You go to Harlequins and I think most of them haven't played rugby since prep school or something, but anyway.
1: Well, it's, it's probably, uh, you say, uh, I mean, I would say the stoop pile of coins is probably the epicentre of the stereotypical English, you know, Chino wearing uh, jeans, brown shoes, you know, Land Rover Giant Rugby fan different to our Land Rover Farmer fans that's a very important distinction I would like to say there Uh, see we have Land Rovers because rugged Northumberland countryside they have Land Rovers because, you know look where it is in in West London but uh, yeah I mean it's
0: a very different a very different
1: style of support I should say you get in the stoop than you do get in Kingston Park
0: Yeah, I've got certain opinions on Land Rovers One of them is, if they're shiny and not covered in mud, then why have you got a Land Rover? And also, I think you can get ones now that are automatic, which um, off-road terrain, I don't see why you'd ever really want an automatic. Anyway, uh, going down a different route there, and I start sounding like Jeremy Clarkson. But um, yeah, I think you've summed it up well there with their choice of car. There we are. We touched upon attendance, and Harlequin's managed to fill their just under 15,000. Attendance has been a topic of conversation this week because no sooner had we discussed last week, and also in our 50th episode special with Matt Thompson, that they released the news that Ealing and Doncaster haven't been eligible for the premiership. And they've based it on their minimum requirements. And the minimum requirement that hasn't been met is the 10,000 fans, uh, or oh, sorry, 10,000 capacity, or 10,001 capacity, I think it's meant to be. And I don't know how it can be such a schoolboy error. If there's been a massive breakdown in communication, a complete misunderstanding of the documentation required, or sheer incompetence on behalf of Ealing or Doncaster, but something doesn't quite add up.
1: Well, I mean, I've, I think Doncaster, I was most surprised about actually, curiously, because the talk was Doncaster just go to the Keepboat Stadium where um, where the football plays, and that sure you thought that's obvious, but we don't really know what the RFU's view on ground sharing is. though. I know obviously London Irish do it and WAS do it, and Bristol, but, and Bristol, yeah, of course. So yes, yeah, so there's a Premiership teams, but I think the difference is, you know, that they you know, we don't there are a few like. I think the difference is that those are established premiership teams that have shown that it works and the finances are fine or whatever. For a team like Doncaster, I think perhaps maybe they have an eye on the sort of London Welsh debacle in Oxford, something like that, but you know, on the face of it, just that, I don't think that's enough. So I was surprised that that wasn't proposed. But look at reading it. It seems to be a case that Dogcaster didn't even consider that. Well, that wasn't something mentioned in the, the article or reported on. For Ealing's ground, now, I don't know if there was talk there of them ground sharing at some point or or somewhere. Uh, but for those who have been to Ealing's ground, I mean, for me personally, I'm not surprised in the slightest that it was turned down. If the ground as it is, it's not a Premiership ground. Um, I mean, for those who haven't, it's a modern sort of main stand clubhouse, but it's only three seats deep. The main stand, um, they have a sort of half temporary stand at the back, at one end, which is decent size, and then another very small temporary stand. If you think of like um, uh, those read of Saracens ground, the sort of a, a small temporary. Or a small, a very small stand at the, the far end. Uh, Worcester, I think, have something similar. Um, but then on the other side, so the other sort of long side, I can call that, of the pitch. There's there's nothing. There's just an amateur pitch which I've played on about two or three times. That can tell you you can't put a stand on there. Or if you do put a stand on there, you'll just you can't have that amateur pitch. And and Ealing, the fresher club, share the the club site with amateur Ealing. That's all the same club. So they'll have to just get rid of one of those pitches. And I don't think that that's practical, or they would do that. So as things stand, it's way under. In fact, I would say it's probably no bigger than some sort of well-off sort of well amateur rugby clubs, you see. So it's no surprise Ealing, purely on the basis of their current ground, have failed that. But again, I don't know if they were going to ground share. But like with Doncaster, that article kind of gives no indication that both of them were considering ground share, which I find surprising.
0: Yeah, so... The interpretation I've got is that when they submitted their application in October, they didn't submit it with plan and commission for the stadium to be with a capacity of 10,001. And The reason for that is because if you have 10,001, then you then fall under some government remit of some regulations or something or other. Interestingly, one of the guys on one of the committees called Mark Smith and he's a different Mark Smith to the Newcastle Falklands press guy another name that's getting recycled but um, they fall under that or have to fall under that and I think premiership rugby be want it because it means that you then have to be audited for safety etc but there's no reason to say that a smaller stadium couldn't be audited to the same standards or I believe that if you have more than 5,000 people you can voluntarily become part of it as opposed to compulsorily being, having to do it but also what you that. um saying is that Doncaster and didn't make the ground share arrangements in their initial application, which if that's the case, and that's their actual plan now, is incredibly short-sighted and competent. And also at that point in the year, they had no idea of whether they were going to be promoted or not because this, the way the, state, the, the league was. And even now, they don't have any um, idea of whether they're actually going to get promoted. So it's not until the conclusion of the championship season that any clubs can realistically say actually we are going to do this or no we're not going to do that and it doesn't leave a huge amount of time to suddenly get either a load of temporary seating that's never going to be used because so you only have three or four thousand anyway at top um attendance or the option for a ground shed. but ultimately what premiership rugby seems to be saying is you need to have 10,001 people to be part of the premiership but we know that it's going to be a complete white elephant you're going to spend a fortune doing it and it's not an absolute waste of time because if you look at the attendance for ealing and doncaster the maximum attendance they get any week's maybe 3 or 4000 on a big week if that um, it's normally 1500 2000 for those two uh, clubs so i just don't understand why this requirement exists and i think it's a good way of premiership clubs closing the door to it and having Basically, an excuse they can reel off, but there's there's no way that any club is going to want to invest any money in getting into the Premiership because the cost of having to find an extra six thousand seats or whatever they need for their stadiums is just prohibitive and it's, it's stupid.
1: I mean, you're right in terms of the white elephant element, and I think it's something I think I mentioned months ago when you know the issue of the, of having a the promoter team join the Premiership, you know, came up and no relegation this season was that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we did raise it in that it's all very well, you know, one of these teams going out we thought probably Ealing, but what happens if they don't meet the ground requirements? You know, it was all very much, whilst that wasn't sort of mentioned as much, you know, that was definitely something that was going to be as important as, as the team as the team winning the league in the first place, and as it turns out, that has been the most crucial factor in that once again the ground share element or sorry the ground capacity element or the ground suitability element has come up again and you got to wonder because of the points you raised there you know is it going to be feasible are we ever going to get promoted to? because you know you have to think that obviously no team's gonna get promoted this season. So you could be still going a 13 next season. You know, what does that affect for promotion relegation next season? Does that mean we'll have another season with no relegation?
0: Can you tell me the only club in England outside the premiership to play in a stand or ground with sufficient capacity? Darlington, Bowden Park. Yeah. They've got that um, crook from Darlington FC that bankrupted the club's old stadium. That's effectively a ground share as well, but they're the only team in the country that could in theory have, have the minimum ground requirements for the premiership. And Every single other club that's even close to being quality-wise good enough needs to double their attend or double their capacity. It's, it's just a barrier to entry, as far as I can see. So the premiership can have a closed shop without actually being a closed shop. And the thing, like I've said already, I'm going to say it again. Was there a fundamental misunderstanding with Ealing and Doncaster that they could put an application in that didn't have the right ground requirements because they're appealing it? So there must be something that's gone on. But the fundamentals of it are that they've either dropped the biggest clang imaginable or there's been a complete misunderstanding of it and somebody somewhere is very incompetent or some people somewhere. And it's very odd that both clubs are appealing on the same basis. It sounds to me like something may have been said, but not in writing, or it's not in the official documentation, but it was a guideline or or whatever when they've done their application, It's pure speculation. But something has gone seriously wrong somewhere in the process that both clubs have fallen short. And why do you then bother submitting something at all? Cornish didn't bother.
1: I mean, maybe it's time to once again dust down our RFU tinfoil conspiracy hats, but I wonder if there's like a political element to this where on one hand they say, oh, yes, we are opening the door to promotion. You know, we've, we have a set formal plan. This is how it's done. Anyone can achieve promotion, but you have to have you know, the ground requirements. And they say that knowing full well, that it's very unlikely that any team's got the ground requirements. So on one hand, you know, you know it's carrot and stick, isn't it? On one hand, you can know, dagger the carrot promotion and that stick of, you know, we, we know full well we're not, not going to have the ground requirements. And it's almost sort of like a political thing where they can say, oh, you know, we are giving the opportunity, but at the same time, behind closed doors, you know, they want the closed-shot premiership. And I wonder if there
0: is an element of that. We'll never know, I guess. But let's see how the appeals pan out, because I think they're probably going to happen. And, it be interesting who they appeal to. Would they appeal to the RFU? Would they appeal in a court? I don't quite know how they'll, how they'll appeal, but there we go. And
1: how long the process will actually take.
0: Um, well, yeah, because by the time the appeal's been heard, will the Championship have been won by Cornish Pirates and they'll obviously no, throw the paper in there and walk home? Who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, it could go into next
1: season, couldn't it? You know, and then there's further uncertainty about, you know, what's going to go on. Is it going to be promotion? Will Falcons you know avoid another relegation again or you know we'll have to see what happens but you know we've said it the championship is probably the most interesting league this season both on and off the pitch I suppose
0: okay so so obviously a very tricky week this week against Harlequins um it's not going to get much better next week although we are at home next week against Saracens
1: yeah it doesn't get any better or easier certainly just have to give it a go don't we? um you know, I remember saying this um uh, before the extra away game, you we were saying, you know, don't lose, give it a go. And it turns out, you know, a really memorable wins. You never know, but it's it's looking pretty unlikely. Um all we can hope is the pressure's off and that maybe they do correct some of the wrongs the have to have an off you never know, it's sport and let's just try and get, you know, maybe we might get something from the game, but it's it's gonna be a tough ask and might be in for a long afternoon, but just got to keep our fingers crossed, I suppose.
0: Yeah, what I would say is if there's one time that I'd want to play as Harrison's, it is during the Six Nations because they'll have a number of players out both in the backs and the forwards. So the form that our forward packer in at the minute, I think we could give them a real good go for things because they're out there without hookers and second rows, and they've probably got a couple of other players that I can't think of as well um, that they're missing. And then um, they've not got Maitland in the backs either or Daly. And Farrell's still injured. So now is probably the time to play them, if any time is. But then they beat Leicester at the weekend. So that says it all, really.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the reverse victory gave a really good game, but didn't we? And arguably, we could have won. And I think, again, our forwards, especially in that, in many ways, kind of got the better of them at times. I know their forwards are exceptionally good as well, especially the set piece. But you know, we're just gonna to have to kind of obviously play at our strengths and hope that we can get just something from the game. And if they are weakened, I think they're quite weakening against Leicester and still did pretty well. If they are weakened, then we just try and take the opportunity as best we can, really.
0: Yeah, I feel like that Saracens game, we we were actually up for the first 20 minutes, half an hour if I remember correctly. And then it went to pot when Saracens had the second ball thrown on the pitch. But um I think that was the turning point of our season. I think before that, we were quite optimistic in a lot of respects. And then since then, it kind of, the wheels fell off a bit. So hopefully we put the wheels back on this weekend, get a turn up for the books victory, and then hopefully have a a bit of joy going into the rest of the year. So, yeah. um, So when we're talking about other leagues, um, we'll do a quick roundup of the scores. And we'll start off with Premiership. So on Friday night, obviously, we went down 24 points to 10 against Harlequins. On Saturday, Bath came back from, I think, 17 or 19 points net down to beat Bristol, 29 points to 27, with a last-minute winner. Uh, Gloucester beat Northampton, similarly, with a late-on winner, 35 points to 30. London Irish trounce, Worcester, 43 points to 12. And Saracens beat Leicester, 34 points to 27. So that could um, be an interesting uh, semi-finals, finals situation if Saracens um, beat Leicester again. Finally today, Exeter beat Sale 19 points to 12. And the end of that game was quite interesting because Sale scored on about the 79th minute. And then Wayne Barnes said to the kicker, take as long as you want for your kick. What's he called? McGinty did so, missed his kick, and then Wayne Barnes blew full-time. And they lost by seven points. They got the losing bonus point. But if I was Sale, I'd be absolutely furious unless they were happy to settle for losing bonus point, because had McGinty taken his kick quickly, then the kickoff would have been taken and they would have had a chance to either draw with a last minute or an injury time try, or if he'd have actually got the kick after rushing it, he would have been able to, well, they would have been able to win it. And it seemed like nobody really dwelt upon that post game. So I don't quite know what everyone's plan was, but it was a very strange sort of scenario because McGinty didn't rush his kick. And I've never seen a team settle for a losing bonus point as opposed to try and win a game if they're about to feel the kickoff. But anyway, there we go. And then if we go around the region, anyway, that leaves the table as Leicester still out in the lead despite that defeat to Saracens with 71 points. Uh, Saracens have a game in hand on 59, Harlequins on 58, Extra on 54, London Irish on 53, Gloucester on 52, then a little bit of a gap, and then you've got Sale on 47 and Northampton on 43 alongside Wasps also on 43. Then another bit of a gap before Bristol on 34, then another gap, and then we've got. 26 points in 11th place bath and worcester both have 25 and bath are no longer bottom that is on the basis of their number of wins we then look around the region and darlington lost by two points 22 points to 20 against cambridge um bladen scored a number of tries but they lost to filed 79 points to 31 whereas tyndale hammered huddersfield but it's worth noting bladen aren't in the bottom two anymore so they're having a good little spell of form at the minute, although they got hammered this week. And any Luck have managed to escape uh, relegation, but let's see how that pans out. In North Premier, Anik beat Burnage 41 points to 31, and Billingham beat York by a point, 22 points to 31. Victories for Conte and Morpeth, while Durham lost in North 1 East. And then results everywhere apart from a home walker against Wynne and Falcons for Gisborough. Um, but I think score of the week probably has to go to... Either Darlington beating Sedgefield 60 points to 7, or Darlington and Park Elizabethans beating Seaton Carew 67 points to 10. So either respect, it goes to Darlington, which club will let you decide. There we go. That's another week, another defeat. But hopefully, 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 we're out of January and February now, so Dean Richards' excuses don't wash anymore and things get better. So thank you for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.